So, Father, we bless you. We thank you for this time of teaching tonight. Thank you for these anointed instrumentalists who lift up praise to your name. And bless us even now, Lord, those who are listening, participating in heart, mind, and soul. Speak afresh in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to let you know tonight I'm lifting up again uh, this study that we've been doing since the pandemic began. And believe it or not, um, since the beginning of the pandemic, this makes now the 35th iteration of this word that God dropped in my spirit as the pandemic started. We had a whole nother set of series for the year we were going to do. But for 35 weeks, including this one now, that means that I have taught nearly every week save one, and I'm so grateful for uh, Elder Varner and, uh, and for Elder, Elder Short, who both stood in my stay on two weeks during this time. So it's been 37 weeks since the start of the pandemic, looks like. And uh, for 35 of those weeks, I have been teaching. Thank God for those two great teachers who allowed me to rest and to get my spirit together, think through and see what God was directing us at. But I want to close out this, uh, this particular area of the study, and then we'll open up afresh next year. But this study has been The Quiet Mind for Troubled Times. And again, this is number 35, The Quiet Mind for Troubled Times. And this is number 35. We base that word on Psalm 46. Psalm 46, verse 10. And just the A portion, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. What a powerful word that is to us today because given what is going on in the world, the hardest thing to do at this juncture is to be still. You almost want to go run somewhere. You want to do something. You want to be active. But the Word of God says for us to be still. And as we've been discussing this idea of, of the quiet mind for troubled times, we've, we've walked through it in a number of different ways. But particularly, we walk through it on some character issues and developments that we needed to have to exhibit what the Apostle Paul calls godly character. And he says that kind of godly character that God is looking for comes with moral courage and personal integrity and mature behavior. He says that when we get there, he said a part of what we're going to have is a life that expresses gratitude to God just for being saved. Gratitude to God for our salvation. Now, for those of you who are wondering, I'm looking at Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 when I say this. And that gratitude to God for our salvation comes with all humility, and that's forsaking self-righteousness. You're going to hear that word humility come up again a little later on in this study tonight. Gentleness, that is maintaining self-control with patience bearing with one another in unselfish love. And, and we've, been, we've been dealing with this idea of what it means to live this way 
and how we have to make allowances for the faults of other people because of the love of Christ in us, how we have to make allowances for the grace of God that was extended to us and therefore should be extended to others. And it's interesting because it requires us to live a certain kind of way and to come into a level of maturity in God that, that stands out from the norm. Okay, yes, there are some people who are naturally introverted, some people who are naturally quiet, or who are naturally not verbose or loud. Um, it could be a product of the nurture that they had through their lives, or it could simply be a product of the way in which they were born. It's just the way who they are uh, innately. But most people have to come to a place where they get an understanding of the value of quiet and the value of a peaceful spirit. Now this quiet and peaceful spirit that God is calling us to has nothing to do with not being able to stand up for yourself, not being able to fight for your rights or exhibit whatever needs to be done in times where you need to be able to speak out and speak truth to power, but there's a way in which you do everything as a person of integrity and a believer that may be different than the way other people will do. Certain things you just won't do, that's just not who you are. And this kind of spirituality has to be nurtured. So I, I say this, and I've said it for the last few weeks, so I'll repeat again. The quiet mind must be nurtured in order to mature into full acceptance of grace and peace of God. And, and I say of grace and peace of God, uh, it could be of the grace and peace of God, of grace and peace of God. So we have, to, we have to mature so that we can walk in the grace and peace of God, so that we can realize that, that God wants us to have um, his mercy, his peace, his grace upon us. God, God extends this to us undeservedly, but you mature into what that means. You mature into how to live it, how to be it in the presence of others. You know, um, the Apostle Paul is one who continuously does it, but other uh, writers do it as well. The scripture repeatedly invokes the prayer for God's grace and peace. The scripture repeatedly invoke the prayer for God's grace and peace. Now, the reason why it repeatedly does this is that it is a prayer for the mercy of God or the unmerited favor of God to be upon you and for the peace of God and, and the Amplified, <laughs> excuse me, the Amplified Version puts that as the inner calm and spiritual well-being. So in Philippians 1 and 2, the, the writer puts it this way. Grace be to you and peace, that is inner calm and spiritual well-being from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm praying unmerited favor upon you. I'm praying grace upon you. But I'm also praying for God's inner calm. And, and, and we've all come to the realization that we need the inner calm um, because our minds can literally do violence to our bodies. Our minds can take us on trips that other folk don't know we went on. 
our minds can cause us to wrestle in the night when people don't even know we're wrestling. Our minds can cause us to think weird thoughts. Our minds can cause us to want to escape from our reality. Our minds can cause us to wish harm on others. Our minds can cause us to say things. And the, the truth is that what goes on in the average mind of the individual is never fully and completely known by outsiders, but you know the storm that rages in your mind. And this kind of season that we've been in, this pandemic season that we've been in, it has caused the raging of the mind to be overwhelming so that people are worried. And we're in a position right now where hope has just uh, come in the last couple of days as the vaccines have rolled out and uh, Pfizer's vaccine has gotten this um, approval right now, and they're putting shots in arms, and they're, they're putting the vaccines out, and, and that's a very hopeful sign. But that's juxtaposed against 300,000 people who have lost their lives to COVID-19. It's juxtaposed against the millions who have been diagnosed with the virus. It's juxtaposed against those who are currently in hospital beds, or the families of those 300,000 people, or those that love them by extension. So the vaccines are coming. And on one hand, it's cause for celebration. On the other hand, the reality is we must make an acknowledgement and, and, and we must legitimize and, and be clear and honest about the righteous fears of some people who say, I don't want the vaccination, and particularly people of color who are worried about the vaccination and being experimented upon, given the history. And, and, and some of us go back and we, we can pull up the history of, the, uh, of those things that were done to people. There's nothing like the Tuskegee experiment and the horrificness of that. Man's inhumanity to man can be chronicled back for centuries. And in the name of science, man's inhumanity to man can be chronicled back even to the, what took place in the extermination of Jews at the Holocaust. Because all Holocaust was not simply let's kill and exterminate, some of which was taken, let's do experiments on twins, let's do experiments on this one, let's do experiments, and all of a sudden, horrific experiments were being done in the name of science. So there's a reason for people who are disenfranchised to be unnerved. There's a reason for Africans to worry in general. If you don't know the story of Sarah Bartman, you, you need to read about it because in that story, we have a woman whose body and physicality was exploited by the misogynistic patriarchal pride of those doctors and persons who just used her body. And even after her death, she was not even allowed to rest in peace because they took her flesh, even her body, and allowed themselves to experiment and touch it and touch it and do what they wanted to do. She was made a sideshow freak. And then after in death, she was exploited in the name of science. So don't tell me there's not a legitimate reason for people to be concerned. And don't tell me that's not something that disturbs the mind because it has to if you're a person of integrity. 
You have to realize experiments that have been done on down through history. Tissue taken, used by scientists, and then used over and over again without ever telling the person that we have taken a part of your body and your DNA sequence for science. Oh, but that has to be juxtaposed against the value of life and the plausibility that one who gets the vaccination twice can survive. But one has to be honest and integrous enough to say something has been wrong in the past. And just because that was wrong doesn't automatically make this a wrong thing. But integrity has to honor the past and recognize the legitimate fears before one wants to simply run up and say, but it's okay today. Because without that acknowledgement, then what you do is you delegitimize the humanity of another. When, when you can't, people are struggling to say Black Lives Matter and keep putting it over All Lives Matter. Well, that's real cutesy. I, I believe All Lives Matter as well. But if you can't even admit that Black Lives Matter, what makes me think that you think my life matters when it comes to science? So you gotta at least come and understand you know, if, if there were five houses here, one was red, one was blue, one was yellow, one was green, and the black house is on fire, and we said black lives matter, or black houses matter, and you went to the red house to start putting water on it, it doesn't help the black house. It doesn't mean all these houses are not, are not important. But what also is important for you to know is, if this house burns down, the chances are the houses on either side are going to get scorched, if not burned as well. People have to realize that all of these things help to cause the mind to be volatile. I know I'm talking tonight. I, I've got a good word in my spirit because what I want to suggest to you is that you and I have got to get to the place where we realize that grace and peace is what God wants us to have and that God wants us to walk in a quiet mind even concerning vaccinations. At some point, herd immunity will only be achieved if enough take it. And at some point, we have to get to the place where we believe. And that pulls me into the next part of this, what is a tiered message, because I'm also going to close this message out with some tips for surviving these holidays that are coming up. So I'm gonna move quickly but, but, but it brings me to those three things that I said were needed for quietness of mind. Three things that I said were needed. Now, I'm not going back through all of them. If you want to hear a fuller discussion, go back to my previous teaching on this where I went through the first two. I'm going to just put all three in line together now. But three things that are needed for the quietness of mind. The first of which, number one, is personal belief personal belief. You must believe that quietness of mind is acceptable. If you don't believe that it's acceptable, if you don't believe that it's accessible and achievable, you're never going to have it. You know, some people live in the chaos. 
Matter of, people, matter of fact, I know um, people who just enjoy drama. Uh, we, we, we call them drama queens uh, or drama kings. They just, they just live in drama. Wherever they are, you, uh, you can know drama's going to follow sooner or later. I, I watch certain uh, athletes who, who walk around in drama all the time. Where, whatever team they go to, you can trust drama's coming with them because that's who they are. If you don't have a personal belief that you can live a quiet life and that your mind can be quiet and that it's something that is acceptable to you, you don't have to thrive on chaos, that it's accessible to you, that you can get it, and that it's achievable, that you can maintain it and hold on to it, you're never gonna have it. You've gotta want it. You've gotta say, this is what I want for my life. I want to walk in perfect peace that I want to hold on to it, that I believe that God has given it to me. I believe it. Well, you know, I think I've come across people in my time who have um, struggled with this concept because for them, they struggle with the fact that they actually don't think they deserve to have a good time or I don't really don't deserve to have the peace, or I've done some bad things in my life, and if only you knew what bad things I've done, you would really not want me to have any kind of peace. You'd want you know, me to get the flames or whatever. The truth of the matter is, deserve has nothing to do with it. Need is there. You know, if everybody got what they deserved, uh, we'd really have a bad situation because nobody is perfect. Matter of fact, the, the scriptures describe righteousness as no more than filthy rags. That means even when you have real good righteousness, you still have raggedy righteousness. We're imperfect beings. And that's why I like the fact that grace precedes the peace. Because I need, it is got through God's grace, his amazing grace that allows me to have the peace. Not through my goodness, but through the goodness of God that God gives peace unto my soul. And I need God's grace to give it to me. And, and, and I need to realize, as in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, there's just one piece in there that I want to grab from the New King James Version. It says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. You need to aspire to have a quiet life. You need to say, this is what I want for me. I want to have a quiet life. I want to live this kind of life where I don't have to be worrying about my next move. God is with me and I'm walking in perfect peace. You know, he said, I'll keep you in perfect peace who keeps their mind stayed on me. So Lord, I got my mind on you. I want to be in that peace that only you can give. Then number two, Number two, we talked about practical behavior. Practical behavior. So personal belief, but then there's practical behavior. And, and here, I have to ask myself, what is it that I must do to pursue the things that belong to peace? My, uh, my wife teases me uh, because uh, 
Um, I watched the Lifetime channel during the Christmas holidays. And she's like, you know, look, you got Lifetime on again? And the reality is I don't watch it, watch it, because I'm sometimes working on some stuff and I'm, you know, I'm uh, doing some stuff. But I leave it on because, number one, there's not any shoot 'em up there's no violence, there are no car chases, nobody getting killed. I don't have to worry about no deep plot line. There's no strong story there. You know, it's not going to be something that's, they're all Christmas movies. Lifetime Christmas movie. And there's a, there's a, there's a continuous formula for all of it. The formula is there's something strange, comes back together, and then the thing that estranged them comes up near the end where they almost are ready to be in relationship and fellowship, but the thing that actually tore them apart again is back in front of them, and now they have to make a decision about how to proceed. Here's the key to this. Watch this. I'm going to bless you with this, with this lifetime moment and get mad at me later. Here's the key to it. Somebody has to decide to make a move in order to make something different happen than what happened the first time. Someone has to behaviorally, physically, get up and move to another step. Speak up and say, here's what happened, here's my truth. Someone has to say, this is the problem, and then someone else gets a chance to rebut it with another truth that maybe I didn't see the complete truth. Watch this, I'm gonna make a point out of it, trust me. The real point that is being driven home in all of these conflicting movies is simple. That unless your personal behavior changes, what drove things bad in the beginning will keep them bad forever. This is a biblical lesson here tonight, saints. If you're not willing to change anything that you've done in the past, if you're not willing to make a different decision than you made before, if you're not willing to give a yes instead of a no, hold it right there. This is a good one here. It's going to bless you. Check yourself. Whenever ideas come, whenever people come to you with something new, is your first answer always no? Because you always want to get to the place when you're living a peaceful life to start out with the yes and give people a chance to bring you to know. Instead of always having to be convinced. Because what that means is you always think you're right, the rest of the world is wrong. What behavioral modifications should you be making during this season? Well, you see, the song, the old song you said, I came to Jesus just as I was. I was weary, wounded, and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. Operative words here is, I came to Jesus. But Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Yeah, but it still takes me making a move physically, spiritually, and emotionally to make the connection. 
And, and I suppose that when one really learns about this whole issue of practical behavior, what one understands is I've got to pursue the things that make for peace, but one also has to understand that I have to manage the freedoms I have and I have to live this, watch this. You have to manage your freedom and fear through the realization of your relationship with God. You gotta manage your freedom. Now, I'm not reading all these scriptures, so for somebody, that might not jump out at you as important. And if I had time, I could make it live. But being free in Christ, and sometimes go back and read Romans chapter 14. When you read Romans 14, you'll understand the issue of freedom. A lot of freedoms that we have in God. A lot of freedoms, a lot of things I can do. But just because I can doesn't mean I should. And what I have to always do with the freedoms that I have, yeah, you, got, you have the freedom to say no, you have the freedom to even put something heavier on front of him than no. That's what you want to do. But you live your freedom and your truth with the recognition of what God wants from me. I'm always asking God, I know I have free choice of the will, but how do you want me to live my life? I know I can do anything I want to do, but how do you want me to live my existence? How can I please you? Because in pleasing you, I'm going to get the best out of life. So that I manage my freedom with, with by restraint, recognizing that life belongs to God. Freedom is managed by restraint. Recognizing what? Life belongs to God. You know, um, do you know I give myself away? Um, it is, it is, I give myself away so you can use me. And, and, and at some point, the, the songwriter gets to that place where he says, my life is not my own. To you, I belong. I give myself. I give myself away. In other words, this, this life I'm leading now, I don't own this. It's you, God. Nobody but you, Lord. And I'm going to have peace in knowing I'm living this life through you. That's why Galatians 2, can, verse 20, can say, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. Yeah, that's it, that's it. That's it. I give myself away, yes, Lord.
that's it right there. trusting God and I say God you use me I manage my life and I end up in quiet because I trust God I manage my fear or I should say the fear that life brings is managed by recognition of the light love and leading of God that's what I do with my fear. You know, the psalmist says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. And I manage it that way. I hold on to life that way. But I want to get out of this. <laughs> Real quick. Let me jump to the third point. When you're under control, your controlness, your calm, benefits others. So third point, and I'm done with this. It is projected beneficially. Projected beneficially. It's important you get that. You want to be able, by your discipline, to bless others. Here's the scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God did not give us the spirit of timidity or cowardice, this is the Amplified Version, or fear. But he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline, abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. When you're calm and well-balanced and you have self-control, you bless others. Last couple of days, and I use sports analogies a lot because they make sense, hopefully it makes sense to you. Um, I've watched two athletes lose their composure and therefore lose for their teams. One was a high school football game where a kid <laughs> lost it on the referee, ran onto the field and ran over the referee. This was the game before the championship game. They had already won the game. He loses his composure. He's mad with the ref, grown man, and he runs out there in his pads and slams him to the ground. Everyone on his team, 
all of the other members, 30 or 40 kids, all suffer because he doesn't have self-control. Guess what happens? The team is disqualified from the state championship. Therefore, a championship they could have competed for and very legitimately won, everybody loses because he has no self-control. He does not have a well-balanced mind. The antithesis of that would be Captain Scully landing a plane on the Hudson River because he has a well-balanced, calm mind and he lands a jet plane full of passengers on water and everyone gets off and lives. Your calm can benefit others or it can take away from everyone else. So when you lose your cool, either you're going to bless or you're going to curse. The loss of your composure is a curse to everyone around you. The maintaining of your composure is a blessing to everyone around you. Okay, let me make one more point. I'm watching a football game the other day, Saturday night, Saturday evening. The team is about to win. They stopped the other team with uh, the last down that they had. And one of the athletes loses his shoe. One player loses his composure, grabs the shoe up, tosses it down the field, as I guess is a joker out of anger. <laughs> Whistle goes off, 15 yard penalty. The team that would have lost just got 15 more yards and four fresh downs. And when you know it, his team ended up losing the game and every chance they had of going to the National Football Championship for college football because he lost his composure. I'm saying it again. When you lose it or when you keep it is when you decide of whether or not you want to benefit or curse those around you. Because everything we do has cause and effect upon the lives of others. Okay, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna leave this. Write some scripture down. I'm not gonna read them all because I got seven things I wanna give you to get through the holidays. Write some scripture down. Psalm 112, verses six through nine. Psalm 112, verses six through nine. Read that in the Living Bible. In the Living Bible, there's a little portion there that says, for he is settled in his mind that Jehovah will take care of him. That is why he's not afraid, but can calmly face his foes. He gives generously to those in need. See, once I'm settled in my mind that God is with me and that Jehovah will take care of me, guess what? I can walk around just as calm as I want to be and I can then give generously to the needs of others. See, one of the reasons why people don't give, they don't sow into the life of anybody else, because they're afraid, because they're, they're worried about their own sustenance, because they can't trust God. Proverbs 14, 29. The Good News Translation says, if you stay calm, you are wise. But if you have a hot temper, you only show how stupid you are. 
I didn't make it up. It's in the Bible. So can I put it this way? Please don't show anybody your stupidity. Okay, I'm sorry. Proverbs 29, verse 8. Proverbs 29, verse 8. People with no regard for others can throw whole cities into turmoil. Those who are wise keep things calm. Proverbs 29, verse 8. Good news translation. See, when you, when you have no regard for others, you can turn the whole city out. Okay. Time is up. I want to give you these seven things, and I only have eight minutes, nine minutes to do it. So watch this. This is my closing for now. Help you get through the next two weeks. Seven tools to maintain a quiet mind in this season. I'm not going to elaborate on them. I only have time to get through them and read them. Seven tools to maintain a quiet mind in this season. Remember, number one, it's a holy holiday. Keep Jesus in your Christmas. It's a holy holiday. It's going to help you get through it. You have to realize this is not about toys and gifts and, and Santa Claus and mistletoe or chestnut roasting on open fire, Jack Frost nipping at your nose. This is a holy holiday. If you remember to keep it as a holy holiday, you can actually be blessed in this season with or without all the other trappings. Number two, these are important. Honesty is healthy. Honesty is healthy. Acknowledge how you feel. Self-care is not selfish. You got to get that one down. Get that one down. Put that in the chat box. Honesty is healthy. Acknowledge how you feel. Self-care is not selfish. It's not selfish. Take care of yourself. Listen, don't allow pride to keep you from engaging support when it's needed. Take care of yourself. Don't allow pride to keep you from engaging support when it's needed. Believers know pride go for destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Don't let pride get you in trouble. You can engage help when you need it. Number three, and I know I'm going fast. <clears throat> Number three, hesitancy is helpful. It's not procrastination if you give thought prior to actions. It's wisdom. Can I be ebonic? Slow your roll. Don't move too quickly. Just get down. Hesitancy is helpful. Look, it's not procrastination if you give thought prior to action. It's wisdom. Learn to slow your roll. Slow your roll. Slow your roll. I got you going. I think we're going to do something here. We're almost there. We're almost there. We're going to make this. We're going to make this. I'm going to close on time. Number four. Number four. Okay. Number four. Hold on to humility. Knowing where you are and what you can 
and cannot do is vital. Manage expectations within your household. Don't overindulge. Manage expectations within your household. Don't overindulge. You know, you know, since the pandemic been going on, you done found out you don't need 50 pair of shoes. You be like, you ain't got nowhere to wear all these shoes. I bought all these shoes. Ain't got nowhere to go. You ain't the only one. Men are the same way. I admit it. I admit it. I wear a size 16 shoe, and they're hard to find. And when I find them, I begin. So I get so excited. We, you know, look. But now all of a sudden, the pandemic done hit, and, and you you can't even put them on. Okay, but manage, learn to understand. Stay humble. Don't try to buy the stores out. Manage the expectations of those folks around you. Ain't but so much you can do. And guess what? Given all the fact that um, the, the mail ain't gonna get there because of the pandemic, tamper everybody's expectations down. We're gonna roll this thing together. We're gonna get through this season. Number five, happiness is in the heart. Things may give us a temporary emotional lift, but true happiness is internal. True happiness is internal. Now I'm gonna tell you now, um, my wife shared a story about some happy moments from our Christmases. And, and it's funny, some of the happiest times we've ever had and Christmas time had nothing to do with the most expensive gifts or toys or whatever. It always seems to be something that would make no sense to anybody else at all. Some of the happiest memories I have are the cheapest ones. Like we were in um, Virginia Beach one year. This is a very happy memory for me. And uh, hopefully everybody shares that memory with my family. One of our happiest days was flying kites in Virginia Beach. I think that kite might have cost me two or three dollars. And we were getting that kite up well above that hotel and we were just having, for less than four or five dollars, I don't know what the cost was. It was so cheap it, did, it didn't even, didn't register. We had the most exciting laughter who could get the kite in the air? Who couldn't get the kite in the air? Who could hold it? Who could, who could make it maintain? Who could get it caught in the wind? You'd be surprised. Happiness is not related to things. And whenever you get things, things can only hold your happiness temporarily. Buy a new pair of shoes. It'll make you happy opening the box. And after that, you get happy the first time somebody sees them and they compliment you on them. After that, you be like, well, I can't wear them again because everybody done seen them. As though the joy of the shoes is only for the compliment. Not for the way, come on here. Happiness is never in things. Okay, I got to rush. Number six, hope is hopefulness being transformed into optimism. The hope of this time now, found now in the vaccine, 
new therapies, new ways of taking care of people. Hopefully that's gonna be transformed into optimism. That's the hope of Christ for us. Recognizing that knowing Jesus should make you optimistic about everything, about life in general. Living or dying, it should make you excited. Paul says, guess what? I don't care how it goes. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. You can't lose with the stuff I use. I'm gonna, it's gonna be all right. It's gonna be, it's gonna, it, it, it's gonna be all right. Number seven, and I'm done. The Holy Spirit is here. I know we're celebrating Christmas, but the comforter has come to keep us in difficult seasons. We are not alone. We are not alone. At Christmas, we remember Jesus, but we have to remember that he came and he left us the promise of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's the song. John 14, 16 through 18. Oh, come, let us talk. And I will pray the Father. And he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you will know him. For he dwells with you, and he shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. John 15, verse 26 and 27. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You need to know the Holy Spirit is with you. God's not leaving you. It's going to be all right. My last thing. Remember this. You're not in competition with anyone. Live your best life now. Live your best life now. Go ahead and live your best life now. The pandemic won't keep you from living it. Live your best life now. Trust in God. 
He'll see you through. He'll quiet your mind, even in these troubled times. <laughs>